We're in Ephesians chapter 3. And we've entitled this, or I've entitled this series, Vision, because throughout the book, Paul is trying to help us to see things clearly, to see who we are as followers of Christ, to see what Jesus has done for not only the Jewish people or the Gentile people, but for the world. He he is wanting us to have a a kind of recalibrated focus on life. And, And so he's been hammering some points and he's going to continue doing some of these things and we have to keep coming back to this foundation that he is building from and that is what God has done in Jesus can't be understated. If we lose that, we lose the purpose of the book. Everything that he writes about, when he's going to write about family, it all has to do with this. It's not just, oh, by the way, let me talk about husbands and wives. It really has to do with this foundation of what has happened because of Jesus. And so you have the the Jewish people who have been given the, the promises of God in the Scripture, have an account of God's working in their lives, all the way back from, of course, the creation, but most specifically, more specifically, from Abraham, where God made a covenant with this man, and and from that covenant, he established a people, a family that was to be a representative for God. And then you have the rest of the world. Really, that's what you have, the Gentiles. When we talk about Gentiles, we mean the rest of the world. And what Jesus is now doing is taking this family that God had been intimate with as far as giving them uh, law, as far as giving them guidance through the prophets, helping them to see through their uh, poetry and, and through those things, helping them to see exactly who he was. This close knit family, all of a sudden, God is extending that reach out to the whole world and saying, guess what? Come on over. We're having dinner. You're part of our family now. And this was a shock. And this is an amazing thing that God has done. No one expected it. And yet it's happening. And that's kind of where we start off here in chapter 3. And it's so interesting. Verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then it stops. And then verse 2, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in 
other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Remember to get members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. It's like, what does verse one have to do with any of those other verses? He doesn't even get to the completion of verse one until verse 14, which we're not even going to talk about today. Paul is starting off and, and he just seems to start off and, and say, you know, for this reason, I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and once he hears, for the sake of you Gentiles, he can't help himself. It's overwhelming him. For the sake of you Gentiles, oh, I got to go there. I got to talk about this mystery. I've got to talk about these things. And as he begins his sentence and doesn't finish it, he's going to tell them something, but he gets sidetracked because of how wonderful this news is that he is now a part of. And as he says, I, I, I see these things for this reason. I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Prisoner of Christ Jesus. Prisoner defined his situation. He was living in a jail cell in Rome. But in spite of that, it was not Rome that determined the meaning of his life. In other words, he was in a a prison cell because of preaching the gospel in Rome, but that didn't determine the meaning of his life. He didn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He said, I am a prisoner of Rome of Christ Jesus. And we, we talked about this when we were going through our series, our uh, Crave series, when we talked about meaning. And we talked or I shared about Viktor Frankl, who was the psychiatrist who went through the four different Nazi concentration camps. And one of his underlining understandings was that, you know, people can confine you, but they can't confine your soul that that's something that you always have charge of. And and that's what we're seeing here with Paul. He's saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In in spite of him being in Rome, it didn't determine his life's meaning. Wherever he was, whatever he was, he belonged to Christ. And this event that happened where it brought him to this prison was just another place where he was to be in Christ and work from there. Sometimes I think we feel that circumstances are more, have more to do with really what's going to happen to us than they should. We, we allow circumstances to control our life and our destiny and how we see things probably more than we should. What would happen if our vision was such where we saw ourselves as always 
a prisoner of Jesus. So when we say a prisoner, always someone who is mindful of him, who belongs to him. And then it wouldn't matter if I had, you know, a, a disease then was part here. I still belong to Jesus and where I am can still be useful to God. It, it wouldn't matter the financial status. I, I lost my job. Oh yeah, I need to get a new job. But it, it doesn't change that I belong to Jesus and he has hold of me. My life's meaning isn't connected to my job. It's not connected to my health. It's not connected to my family. It's connected to the person of Jesus. And if we saw ourselves in this way where this was something that constrained us, I wonder how it would change our lives. You know, one way to read the outside of things, you know, we we kind of see things and we see just what they are. Paul is a prisoner in Rome, and, and that's the outside of it. There, there are two ways we can read that, and it doesn't matter if it's a situation, it doesn't matter if it's a book, it doesn't matter if it's a conversation uh, with somebody, an event, a period in history. There's two ways of reading everything. There's just the things you see, and then there's something more that takes place. There's the motive for the things that happen. There's the meaning underneath the things that happen. There's the uh, between-the-line words in the conversation. There, There is more than just what we see almost all the time. And, and so what we need to do is not just read the outside, the bare words, the obvious surface appearance. We need to read the inside, the underlining meaning, motives, and motions so that we have a clear understanding of life, especially a life that is connected to Jesus, a life that would be considered, like Paul, a prisoner of Jesus. And if we don't see things in that way, if we just look at the outward and not at the inward meanings, we're going to be missing out on most, the most valuable things of life. The truth is, not visible and on the surface that is you know it's you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear more than just the things we see more than just the visible we have to have the ability to look beneath those things and underneath it and and it's possible that none of the roman soldiers who guarded paul could see that he was the lord's prisoner they just thought, you're a prisoner here. This is what they had no idea what was going on in his life, in his heart. They might not have had any inclination to how far these little letters he was writing would go. You know, he'd give this letter to someone here. Here's the, the letter to the church over there in Ephesus. And the guard sees that, oh, that stupid man writing little letters. He doesn't know that he's a prisoner here. Little does he know that this small letter would carry on and for hundreds of years be circulated and become what we have in Scripture today. He had no idea. He just saw it as a small letter. That's all he saw. He didn't understand that beneath it there was a lot more going on. Do you see a lot more going on in your life? Or is it you just go to work? You just have this interaction. You just do these things. And your life has been reduced to what you see. And your experience is based on not the deeper meaning, a deeper understanding, but on the outer meaning. And maybe it's because you have forgotten 
this great news that took Paul off track, that you have been brought into this family, that you are now a part of his promise, that you now have a destiny, that you have, uh, well, as he's going to get to, you are an heir of this family, someone who has a purpose. The section that we're looking at today is based on Paul's inside reading. His inside reading of God's word and revelation. His understanding what God has done and what God is doing. You know, it was for the sake of you Gentiles that I'm here in prison. It's because of you I'm here. And it's not blaming him. He's just saying, I did it for you. I wasn't here, you know, because the Romans misjudged me. I was, you know, I was accused falsely. You know, I was set up. No, I was here for you. I'm doing this for you. And it's like he's happy to be doing that. He's happy to be here. And in his reference to them, again, he gets sidetracked. And from the time of his conversation, Paul had a special connection to the Gentiles. Ever since the beginning in his conversion in Acts chapter 26, when he says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you've been persecuting, and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. In his mind at that time, where he was at, that must have just seemed like the most ridiculous thing in the world. The Gentiles, that's not where we're supposed to go. You see, us Jews are the ones of promise. I'm here trying to make sure us Jewish nations stay on track so that you could use us to dominate over these Gentile people, but now you're telling me I'm going to actually go to them? And this is all part of what God is unveiling. This is part of that mystery that he's talking about in this whole area. Paul describes his ministry to the Gentiles as stewardship, as something he's responsible for, something that he, he takes control over. He does it again in verse 9. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages was kept hidden in God. Administration, stewardship. I, I'm, I'm here to help this take place. He understands he's been given a position by God to see things that the world hasn't seen, to, to do things that the world hasn't done, to, to be a person who unites these family members with the whole world. I've been given this task and brought into this position. And you see, a steward is a trusted servant. It's someone who's in charge of a wealthy person's stuff. A steward would be put over a household's affairs. And so Paul is seeing himself as, I've been put over the household of Israel's affairs and part of that responsibility is to make sure that you are now taken care of because guess what? 
You're now part of our household. And that's why he can't finish his sentence. I'm, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. You guys, you're the reason I've been given this stewardship. I need to make sure that you recognize where you belong, who you are. And it's an incredible promise that you now have. And I... I don't know if it's just me, you know, I, I don't think of lineage a, a whole lot. I'm not one of those guys who go on Ancestry.com to find out, you know, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's my family situation, you know, I was adopted. I mean, I have three stepbrothers. We all have different fathers and we all have different mothers, you know I mean? So it's like our family does not have that kind of lineage where we're connected and this is this is it where I take pride in those things and so these people don't seem to have that kind of a connection that kind of you know I'm not a part of this and, and so hearing something oh yeah you're part of this family I'm kind of like oh yeah I've been part of a few families it's not a big deal but this is something that's important because with this family now comes inheritance with this family now you get to be part of not only the name, but the promises. And I don't think about that. I don't think of, oh, all those things that God said to Abraham. They're for me now. All those promises that God gave through those prophets. Oh, you know what? They're for me now because I'm part of this family. But they are. And that's why Paul is so excited about these things. You know, in Luke 12, 42, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? And this is what Paul is doing. He is the proper steward at the proper time and he's administrating the master's affairs. And that's what he's doing right now and explaining to the people there the Jews and to the Gentiles. Specifically, he's addressing the Gentile people at this point. And, and what is it that Paul rationed to the Ephesians? What was he? What was he there to to give their allotment to? What was what was he trying to hand down to them? You know, here's a painting that belongs to you, or here's you know, you get the shoes. You know, what what is it that we get being a part of this family? What was his allotment? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It was grace. This belongs to you. What? what? What do I get? You get grace. Whoa. I wasn't expecting grace. I was thinking I was going to get some law. I was thinking I was going to get some regulations. I was thinking I might, you know, have to get some circumcision or something, you know, but I wasn't expecting grace. That is your allotment. That's what we've been giving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, it was the mysteries of God over which he was a steward. The mysteries of God, what is that? It is the grace of God. And he says that again in verse 9. We, we expend a lot of energy trying to define what grace is. 
know, it's unmerited favor and we want to understand it. But for Paul, it wasn't a word that needed to be defined, but it was a gift that was to be experienced. See, how do you know what grace is? You know it most when you're living in it. Remember the woman who was uh, an adulterous woman, we believe, or a prostitute, who was washing Jesus' feet. And Simon the Pharisee said to himself, if he knew what manner of woman this was that touches him, he wouldn't have her touching him because she's a sinful woman. And then Jesus went on to give a story. He said, Simon, I have something to ask you. There were two people. One owed a little bit and his debt was forgiven. One owed a lot and his debt was forgiven. Who loved more? He says, well, I imagine the one whose debt was more. He goes, exactly. You see, this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. The people who really understand grace are the people who've been recipients of grace and have needed it. Those who feel they don't need grace are usually not very gracious. They expect more of others. The people who have been recipients of a lot of grace can stand in less of a place of judgment, less pharisaical, because they too say, "Ah, I've been forgiven a lot. And so we're not here to define what grace is. We're here to walk in an experience of it. We're here to allow it to be a part of our life, something that shapes our lives. It's through God's daily gifts of grace that He put us where we're supposed to be. It's through God's continual mercy that we get to to walk with Him and enjoy His fellowship and have that relationship with Him. It's a constant in our lives. But do we think of that? Do I think of God's grace as a constant? Or is it something that happened when I said a prayer and when an altar call, I had the grace of God come on me? No, I have to have the grace of God daily, moment by moment. This is part of my inheritance. This is what I have been entrusted with, is the grace of God. And so it's a wonderful thing and it's a beautiful thing that we're supposed to be walking in. And so he talks about you've heard about this administration of God's grace that was given to me. I've been put in charge of this grace. It's been given to me. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly, talking about the chapters before, And reading this, then you will be able to understand my insights into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Why is Jesus a mystery? Because of what he's done. And what that has done for you, which was not made known to the people in other generations, again, talking about the Jewish people, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets, those who walked with Jesus and those who understand now see this is what's happened. This mystery is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Three times he uses the word together. And some translations it might say fellow servants, 
or with. But the whole thing is together. You're, you're with. Three times he says, yeah, we're together in this. We're with this. We're fellow in this manner. And so here is him bringing together the, the world into this family. And so he, he kind of goes on and explains a little bit more in the idea of this mystery. I mean, the key word in verse 3 is the word revelation, made known the mystery. They are repeated in verses 4 and 5, but in reverse order. And this was at the center of Paul's ministry, to reveal. So when you hear the word revelation, I don't think apocalyptic, you know, end of the world. Think of revealing. Okay, that's what revelation is. I don't know how we got into the other stuff, you know. Don't get me started. Okay, so we're not, Sam. You're getting yourself started. Um, and so the idea of revelation is revealing. And that's what he's talking about. He mentions it three in chapter verse 3, 4, and 5. It's what he is trying to do, reveal the truth about Jesus to the Gentiles. But that this is a truth that is not observable. It's not something that you just see or accessible to, to logic. It had to be delivered to Jewish and Gentile audiences. And here we come face to face with what Paul calls that mystery. The way mystery is used in the New Testament is it means unknowable or secret. Hidden, he says in verse 9. It was something that was hidden. It was something that you didn't see. It was something that you didn't distinguish. Mystery is a truth or reality that cannot be discovered just with the mind or detected by the senses. The mystery is something that belongs to a, a transcendent realm. It doesn't originate in the 4D reality that we, we live in, in the universe that we're at. That's why it's not within our reach or the reach of just humans. We could not just take it. It had to be revealed by God. You see, God cannot be discovered in a lab. God cannot be discovered just by your ability to understand. He cannot be seen through a telescope or, or found under a microscope. The best that the philosophers could ever hope to do to accomplish, to logically prove the existence of a deity or deities failed. You, you can't prove God. He doesn't get in a test tube. It's not something you can ever just say, okay, by the way, here's God. See, there he is. That's his house. There's his, you know, dog. I mean, it's like, how do you physically see God. Oh, we see the handiwork, but you don't see God. But that wouldn't result in an actual personal knowledge of the God that the Scriptures revealed. We would not see the God of Scripture just by what we see. We can see, again, His handiwork, but not actually Him. There's a passage in Job, Job 23, verse 8 and 9. It says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. 
It's like he's not there. I look all around and I can't see God. I don't know where he's at. He's not to be found. The only way for humans to know God is for him to reveal himself to them. If God would not reveal himself to us, we would not know he's there. And he reveals himself to us through Scripture. He reveals himself to us through the desires in our soul that crave meaning, crave intimacy, crave a destiny. But he has to be the one that reveals himself to us. This is the role of God's word. It's the role of the scriptures to help us to understand he is there, to give us insight into him. So one great mystery that God has revealed is himself. But there are other important mysteries, and one in particular, God had revealed to Paul as well as to the other apostles and the Christian prophets, and it was unbelievable. Our minds have been formed by prejudice, by 2,000 years of world history, And so what Paul says doesn't shock us because we take it for granted. Oh yeah, Jews, Gentiles, we're all one in Christ. But this is probably one of the more impactful theological points in all of the New Testament. And we just assume it's okay because of how we've experienced life over the past 2,000 years. But this mystery of bringing Jew and Gentile into one family is something that was shocking to them. It was so shocking to them that God had to help them understand it. At first, Jesus' own apostles didn't believe it, that the Gentiles would share in Israel's salvation or in their future. Remember, God had to reveal to Peter a vision In Acts chapter 10, Peter was there and and he was fasting and praying and and God gave him a vision of all this food that was kosherly unclean. It wasn't kosher. It was something you wouldn't eat. And the vision he heard God say, kill and eat. He says, no, I've never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And God says, don't ever call what I have cleansed common. Don't ever say that it's unclean. And then he gets a knock on the door, goes to Cornelius, the Roman centurion's house. And he goes, I think God's trying to say something. What's God doing? He's revealing the mystery that the Jewish people are now going to be brothers and sisters with the rest of the world. And that was unbelievable. Again, it it doesn't shock us the way it does. And so all I can do is... You know, try and find that person or that ethnicity, maybe that you know you there's conflict with. I mean, there is still racial tension in our world today, not just the United States, but everywhere. I mean, you have wars because of what tribe you belong to. There is genocide in Croatia and Africa just because of what. Your genealogy is there have been millions and millions of people slaughtered just because of the family they were born under. 
And we think of that and it just seems insane. That's, that's crazy. You can't even see a difference between these people. You have to know their family. Otherwise, you'd look at them and say, they could be from the same family as far as I know. But no. You're a Hutsi and this is a, a Tutsi and a Hutu. What? They, they don't look different to me. But just because we know you're a Hutu and we know you're a Tutsi, you've got to die. What? How does that make sense? Because we want to exterminate these people. What? See, it doesn't make sense to us. But then you you have this gospel that comes in the middle of a, a situation like that and says, you guys, you're part of the same family now. And it was difficult. No. I don't want to be a part of those Gentiles, those dogs. I don't want to be a part of those Jewish people, their rituals. I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with those things. I don't want to have to deal with these things. And Paul is straining, saying, don't you see what God has done? He's bringing in this new humanity, and it's all under Christ. And that is part of the mystery. At first, they didn't understand it. The Gentiles could become Christians and members of Christ's body without first becoming Jews? Unreal. But that's what they understood God was saying. And you see that in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. Well then, they said, you know, you can almost hear their tone wondering and just resignation when they finally conceded. Well, I guess God has granted the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life what they said in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, finally they said, I guess they can come in too. Okay, I guess God likes them too. And then there, there's this tension, you know, Paul rebukes Peter because Peter is there sitting with the Gentiles, and then when the Jews come, he, he leaves the table with the Gentiles and goes and sits with the Jews. And Paul says he rebuked him to his face. Why? He goes, don't you dare bring this kind of division in. Because I am a steward of what God is doing, and I'm not going to allow you to bring this division because God is trying to bring us together. And so Paul's short introduction, just as he spoke, refers to the first two chapters where he's trying to, again, get us to understand that we have now the same rights as the children, the ones who are under the promise. And after reading his wonderful insights, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God that they would be able to understand this insight even more fully because you're part of this family. You're with us. You're fellows. You're, you're in fellow servants. You are together with us in these things. So, so Gentiles are now heirs with, in the body with, partakers of the promise 
with the Jewish believers. Paul's life's work was to get the message out and by God's grace it was empowered to bring the world in to this understanding and family. I don't know how it is that we can lose sight of the impact of what Paul was trying to do and that he is trying to tear down every wall that keeps people outside of the family. Well, you know, you worship on a different day. You eat meat that's unkosher. You have all kinds of problems in your idolatrous ways and sacrifices. And Paul, even through the book of Romans, starts tearing down, stop. These things are not enough to stop from bringing you guys together. Stop dividing yourselves into these things. And look at what we have in the church today. Well, you know, we believe this of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we believe you have to be baptized in this way. And I don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm pre-trib, I'm post-trib, I'm just trib. You know, I'm just... We have so many things and it is amazing how determined we can be to try and prove our way right at the exclusion of others. See, I have friends of mine who are followers of Jesus, who do things that I just think are off the wall. I would never do things that way. They have beliefs that I detest. And I think they are so contrary to the heart of God. But they are still my family. And my purpose isn't to take their beliefs and crush them with it. And I'm going to prove to you how foolish you are. I'm going to prove to you how ignorant you are. I'm going to prove to you how right I am. I need to do what Jesus said. Show the world that I'm his disciple because I actually love them. I actually care about them even though I think they're wrong. We deal with that in our families, right? You guys have family members and it's like, yeah, I don't I don't like what they do, you know, that uncle who you know and like watch the silverware when uncle comes over, you know, it's like everyone has people in their family that is a little bit like shady or has some past or has some issues, but they still get to come and sit at Thanksgiving table. Why? Because they're a family. And what has happened where we've become so divisive and we think it's our job to prove everybody wrong and to prove ourselves right. And here's Paul taking such an extreme with the Jews and the Gentiles and he's saying, you're the same family. And here we can't even deal with the small things that we have. And we have the same Christ. It's perplexing. And so, why has God revealed these things? Why would he reveal anything regarding himself, regarding his will, regarding salvation, regarding anything? Why why does God reveal? Was it to provide concepts and, and theological discussion 
so that there could be seminary dissensions with one another. I, I want to I wanna give these things so that you can just theologically talk about them. You see, something is revealed to a person or the person who is addressed by what is revealed is the object of that revelation. In other words, if the message comes to you, is given to you, it's because the message is for you. And so if God is bringing this revelation to us, he's giving it to us, it's because it is for us. God is revealing these things so that we would have the understanding of them. They're they're for us. God's revelation looks for a human response. God doesn't just reveal something and goes, there, now you know about it. He reveals something so that when we are aware of it, we will do something about it. God reveals something, a revelation. I've brought this family into the same household. We're supposed to respond. We're supposed to act like family. It's made known to us so that we can do something about it, not just learn about it. Hey, you know what I learned today? I learned that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. That's not the purpose of learning. Great, you heard it. The purpose is so that you respond in a way that shows it, that you actually act like it. God's revelation, again, is looking for the human response. The, the secret things belong to the Lord, it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the laws of his law. So certain things we don't know, but what we do know are given to us so that we can act on them, so that we will take the things that are revealed to us and that we will allow them to be transmitted through us and evident in us. If wisdom and intelligence, as valuable as they are in understanding the universe and human behavior, cannot uncover divine mysteries, then we cannot depend on them for our experience of God. Okay, we, we can't depend on just our understanding for an experience of God. We actually have to move into the place of practice and actually experience. We have to actually live it. God is not a concept that's to be grasped. He's a person to be known, to be loved, to be trusted, and to be enjoyed. And so the truths that he's revealing to us aren't just something we can mentally take hold of. They're something that we have to now experience in our lives. And we do this in so many of our relationships. The reason there are so many problems in, you know, families, in marriages, you know, well, I said I love you, but your love never went past the words. All it was was words. The actions didn't match the sentiment that you were trying to convey. See, if you really loved, you would cared enough to step into this and have the difficult conversations and the you know the deal with the issues and things like that because that's what love does. It's involved with. It doesn't just hear about. 
And so many people take the relationship with God and think He's just someone that we need to understand, we need to learn about, and they don't think of God as a person to know, a person to love, a person to trust, a person to enjoy. When is the last time you enjoyed time with God? When is the last time you really trusted God or did you just take things upon your own, this is what I'm going to do? Have you ever noticed that it's the hard times that really where we grow the most? Why is that? Because we have to trust. I got no money. I got no health. I got none of this. I've got nothing. I guess all I got is God. And guess what? It's the most amazing experience I've ever had. Why? Because all I had was God. I had to trust Him and it was good. But as soon as I'm done with that experience and I get some money, I get some health and I get these other things, I go back into that, okay, I don't have to live in the relational aspect with God again. I can just trust in all these other things instead. And so, I want you to do this, some homework for the week. Next time you get into your car to drive someone somewhere, before you start going, I want you to just recite in your mind the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day, or give us this day our daily bread. Or forgive us, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Go through, read it, learn it, and then recite it. And then when you get back from wherever you've gone, I want you to Ask yourself, was I there in that prayer, the time I was there? When I went to the market, did I sense the holiness of God? Was I grateful for His provisions? Did I desire to be as forgiving as He was to me when I stood in that counter, the cashier's line, and she was being so thorough with all those groceries? Was I living that prayer? So that every time you go somewhere and you come back, you start thinking about, are you actually showing up in this relationship? Are you there? I mean, of course you're there physically, but were you there consciously? Were you aware of the mystery of God that He has brought me into a relationship with Him? that what was hidden has now been made known, that I can now have an understanding of who God is, the living God, and it's now something that is a part of my life. So that we don't just lose sight of these things. Ask, did I see God? That is, His image in others, His handiwork, in the work around me, his fingerprints on culture and on my society and on the things that I encountered. And this way we begin to look at everything differently. We, we start seeing God show up in more and more clear and tangible ways, even though it's invisible. And then also... Revisit chapter 1, verse 17, and ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God. Remember, that was his prayer. In verse 17, 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So we too ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know God better. Wisdom so I can understand him. Revelation so I can see what he is revealing in the circumstances that I'm at, where I am at and the things that I'm doing. But also thank God for giving you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And maybe as we do this, we can begin to realize how in spirit you have already begun to know him. You're already involved in the family and you're already taking part in these things and how you already have been given eyes that can see and given ears that can hear and that you already actually have a heart that can perceive the work of God. And maybe you're just not recognizing what you already have that he's already given you. Because you're not taking the time, you're not conscious of it, you're not even thinking of it as a reality. And so as Paul moves this conversation, he can't help but emphasize that where you were is not where you are now. And what was before separate has now been joined together that because of Jesus through the gospel that we are now heirs together with Israel, we're members together with the one body and we share together in the promise of Jesus himself. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for an awakening in my spirit to be in awe, Lord, of who you are in a regular and daily basis, God, that I wouldn't need just supernatural miracles, God. We would love to see healing, and we're going to pray for healing for for Terry and for others that we know. We're going to we're going to pray that you do the miraculous, but Lord, you are doing miraculous things and so many times we're just not aware. You have done miraculous things and we, we've taken them so lightly. You've, you've adopted us. You've made us heirs together with the promise. You've brought us into the family. We now have your spirit residing in us and we think nothing of this. We, we don't contemplate on this. We don't take the time to be grateful of this? Lord, maybe there's so much more you would do if we would just wake up to what we have. And so I pray for that awakening in us that we would understand what it means to be brought into these promises, what it means to be brought into this family. And Lord, what you have done in us already, Lord, may we tap into that and allow it to shape our lives and our future. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.